Look, I hope you're taking some enjoyment out of uh, listening to these. It's strange when you read writing back. I recorded both of the books published with Backpage Press, Barca and The Making of the Greatest Team in the World, and Spain, the history of their remarkable treble. I recorded both of them as audiobooks. When you read, I don't know, 100,000 words, one of the most distressing things is that you find errors that in reading without reading aloud, you've been through six, seven, eight, nine times and missed. You also find phrasing that you wish you'd rejigged or done correctly the first time. I have to say, and, and I'm sorry if this means little to most of you, but when I was a boy, um, we would often visit my grand's house in Huntley in northeast Aberdeen, and there'd be this brilliant Radio 4 missive from Alistair Cook, an Englishman who had been moved by The Guardian to North America in, I suppose, the 30s or 40s, and who had begun from the war onwards to record a weekly letter from America, it was called. The style of this was fantastic because he had a theme, sometimes he'd deviate from it occasionally. You wouldn't be clear about what that theme was until he came until the last two and a half, three minutes of what he was reading. It could cover politics, sports, society, international relations, but he sounded wise. It sounded fair. It was interesting. It was in a time when, with <laughs> initially from my case one television station gradually two finally three which was amazing obviously no internet you had to conjure mental pictures Alistair Cook's stuff did that for me when he talked about Ali or when he talked about Jack Kennedy it brought images to mind it it nestled in my consciousness and admiration and an interest in in the USA but when I read I know that my phrasing has been subconsciously lifted from what I listened to when Alistair Cook every Sunday morning read his letter from America. And what I aim for, and I don't have his level, is to conjure mental pictures. What I aim for is not to dictate information, but to share stuff that I've had the privilege of seeing or hearing. My travels take me to meet for example, last week was an extraordinary week, genuinely, and, and from my taste, I'm not selling it to you as extraordinary. I still look at it and think, how have I done this? Um, because across the week, I went to uh, Villarreal, interviewed the president, President Reutsch, interviewed Unai Emery, interviewed Manu Trigueros, had took part in a 35, 40-minute off-the-record briefing by Chavi, his brother Oscar, and Jordi Cruyff. Then interviewed Luke de Jong for part of the big interview series. You'll be hearing him coming up in due course. And by Thursday afternoon, I then interviewed Senden, uh, Budawain Senden, Bolo Senden, um, by Zoom. And eventually on Friday went through to meet Antoine Griezmann to speak about his love for racehorses, his his current side career as a racehorse owner and the times he's been a jockey with his brother. And all in all, it, while a, a tiring and busy week, it was utterly fascinating. And 
there was so much that you learn, either visually or by people's reactions or when the cameras are turned off and the mics are turned off or simply during the interviews. In the midst of that was a Camp Now match that I did a little video of and given that it seems 180,000 people have seen it, maybe you watched it, it was me from the Camp Now, talking about the visceral impact of the outstanding Champions League quarter-final game between Barcelona and Real Madrid. It was women's football of the highest order, strategically, tactically, in terms of the actual play, the scoreline, quality of goals. It was magnificent until late in the second part of the tie, Barcelona ran away with it. The crowd stunned me. It was hugely jubilant and noisy throughout. It felt like a reclaiming of football. Call me romantic, call me foolish. I don't care. It wasn't a stadium full of tourists. The tourists are welcome. I was one once. They've got every right to turn up the camp now and, and sit around and eat their burgers and ooh and ah and beg for a shirt. When you get 90,000, 91,000 football fans there who are there to support one team or another, it's gorgeous. When they go crazy, better still. To cap the week off with this match that I'm going to talk about, where Barcelona narrowly edged by Sevilla on the scoreline, but Coventrys them, as Martin Gregg would have it, destroyed them in chance creation. It was largely down to one guy. The team system is working. Everybody is at or around top form. They were a little bit stodgy, a little bit constipated in the first half, and Sevilla knew how to make it hard for them. But Dembele was sensational. And that's why I've chosen this week to write for ESPNFC about Usman Dembele. It goes like this. It says something remarkable that, despite Pedri scoring a disgustingly luscious winner against Sevilla, and his coach, Xavi Hernandez, drenching the 19-year-old with adoring superlatives post-match, Usman Dembele was by a huge distance Barcelona's man of the match on Sunday night. To put it bluntly, the controversial, often difficult to comprehend, previously perma-injured, World Cup winning French winger, gave a textbook display not only of how to leave your rival fullback's legs in a knotty twist of funk and fear, but of how to drive a title-hunting team to victory over a brilliantly organised, stubborn rival. Dembele set up big, and I mean mega big, scoring chances for Frankie de Jong, Obama Yang, three times for Ferran Torres, for Araujo, for Piquet. He bounced a shot about an inch over the bar, or did Bono get a touch? And then, finally, gave that assist pass for Pedri's glorious winner. In case you've not seen the match, those chances almost all required good or excellent saves from Bono, plus, in Piquet's case, led to a header off the crossbar. Then, there were the appealing extras. Dembele, let's just say, has long been confused about what the phrase tracking back might mean, and completely repugnant 
repulsed by the idea that defensive teamwork might possibly apply to him. But no longer, it seems. Throughout this match, he put in a decent shift to make sure that Danny Alves' right-back position didn't get swamped. And then, in the second half, he barged two Sevilla opponents into touch while winning the ball to restart a Barcelona surge. Those moments specifically brought a belly-deep, guttural roar of approval from the 76,000 crowd. By the way, average attendance this season for Barcelona, 52,000. Meaning that Usman had conquered a rival far more stubborn and potentially threatening than auxiliary Sevilla left-back Karim Rekic. The fact is that Dembele's situation is literally one of the most remarkable turnarounds in a love-hate football relationship that I can recall. Never mind his controversy-pitted previous four seasons with the camp now, it was fewer than three months ago that Barcelona asked him to find a new club in the winter transfer market. Again, it was on February 7th when Dembele didn't even play in the 4-2 home win over Atletico, that Xavi had to beg the fans, please don't whistle and boo Osman. I understand that there are fans who are angry and hurt, but now that the market is closed, we can't shoot ourselves in the foot. He's back in our squad and available for selection. His reference was to the fact that Dembele's agent and clan are making it very tough indeed for Barcelona to renew his contract, which ends in June, on reasonable terms. The 24-year-old, yes, he truly is only 24, was already marked down as a flop by big sections of that club's fan base. And the booing or jeering or whistling during the Atleti win was merely when Dembele's name was read out by the stadium announcer and when he trotted out to warm up. He didn't even play. Two months ago, that was. Now listen, wouldn't you imagine that when Xavi asks, Xavi gets? He's not only one of the best, most successful footballers in the club's 123-year history, he's beloved and currently occupies the elevated position of saviour. So, the fans obeyed, right? Wrong. Ten days later, the ear-piercing whistling when Dembele came on against Napoli after an hour with the Blaugrana desperately seeking a winner to take to southern Italy, well, that noise was startling. With a couple of thousand Neapolitans and a handful of neutrals in the 73,000 crowd, it literally felt like 70,000 Barcelona fans combining to say, we hate you, get out of our club. It rattled the senses of a neutral onlooker. To be the object of that must be a pitiful experience. Nevertheless, Dembélé played like a man possessed, nearly turned the match, and gradually reduced the vituperative volume. Quotes, That's it now. You've whistled him. You didn't listen to what I asked you, but that's enough, said Xavi post-match. At which point a magical catharsis took place. The crowd, on the manager's say-so and nothing more, decided to give Dembélé a second chance. Simultaneously, the Normandy-born prodigy decided to take that chance with both hands and, being wholly ambidextrous, 
both feet too. Now get ready for a surprise, in inverted commas. Dembele, thanks to a combination of hamstring, knee and out-of-favour problems, has started a mere 11 times in all competitions this season. Nine in La Liga. Horrendous stats. He's only been on a pitch competitively for Barcelona this season 22 times. And by comparison, Barcelona have played 42 matches in season 21-22. But since the eureka moment when Xavi decided he needed the frustrating but brilliant attacking resource, since Dembélé erupted in form and confidence, and since the crowd decided to pardon him, the Frenchman has started five of the last seven La Liga matches and since Valencia away on February the 20th, has produced eight assists and a goal. Frankly, if his teammates had been half awake on Sunday, that assist total would have swollen by three or four instead of just one. As it is, not having played any club football until November, and only appearing in 846 Liga minutes, the 13th in Barcelona's list of appearance, He's got Spain's second highest assist total of 10, just behind countryman Karim Benzema. When Dembélé left the pitch in the 90th minute against Sevilla, who he'd tormented all night, he received an uproarious standing ovation. The pariah was suddenly the prince of the Camp Nou. Just as a little aside, as part of Chavi's method to get his team playing the precise brand of football he's so fervent about, there has been a huge amount of video tuition done with the entire squad since the 42-year-old took over in November. Part of what the coach will do, far beyond showing rival teams or direct opponents in video packages to instruct his players what he requires of them, Chavi and his staff will regularly conduct video montages of say 15 or 20 actions they've put together to analyse and mark each of their own players. Now, if you caught Xavi on a good day in a quiet corner, he might admit to you that, for example, Pedri's actions or decisions are 90% OK and 10% KO, and that the young midfielder would lead the entire squad in approval ratings for percentage correct decision-making anywhere on the pitch. Every single footballer in the squad gets his OK KO percentage split for good or bad. Continuous assessment it is, aimed at continuous professional development. The Catalan might, just might, admit that for Dembélé it's very often 10% OK but 90% chaos. One of the things which have brought the entire volatile situation to this point, where Dembélé is suddenly on some of the best form of his career, PSG and Bayern are very keen on taking him on a free, Barcelona's team is utterly transformed when he plays, the camp now loves him, and nobody has the first idea whether he'll eventually stay or leave after this golden autumn of the last four and a half years. One of the keys is Xavi's patience. He demands absolute rigorous, detailed precision, accuracy and mental order from everybody else in his squad, but not Dembele, not yet. Xavi's staff will guide you to the reason. They'll say, 
that 10% you get from Usman wins you matches. Remarkable. Just imagine if the 24-year-old ever learned to apply discipline to his decision-making, to work successfully on his finishing, to produce even a 60-40 level of consistency rather than his trademark 10-90 at present. When you're a maverick footballer, you need others around you to corral you, to help you. And Danny Alves playing centrally rather than that right back, which he did in the second half, and Frankie de Jong pushing forward to draw the opposition left back inside helps a lot. Dembele is often either in a lagoon of isolated space from which he erupts in a dribble or pass, or else he's given what every winger treasures, at least a one-on-one opportunity. It has helped, too, that Xavi has gutted the medical, physio, fitness and physical rehab departments at Barcelona. As if by magic, suddenly Dembélé is, for the moment, robust. The inside view, which is to say Xavi's, is that Dembélé trains superbly, is liked amongst his fellow squad members, and the player himself 100% wants to sign on for more years with Barcelona, especially this version of the club. However, the -the off-the-pitch difficulty is whether the hard-nosed bean counters at the camp now, who admittedly have a 1.3 billion debt to reduce, and Dembélé's haughty, self-interested advisors and gang, can see their way to helping Dembélé stay where he wants to be. Who knows? I think the percentage chance has gone from 10 plays 90, possibly as far as 60-40 in favour that he stays. But it's a serpentine world. Meantime, the rest of us must simply sit back and enjoy the exhilarating sight of a wondrous footballing talent finally hitting potential.